I want you to think about how much life has changed in the last 10 years, professionally, technologically, politically, globally, in your relationships. Think about how much change you have experienced, how different life is. Well, for the last 10 consecutive years, Keeley Companies has been named a top workplace by St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Their most important assets are their people, also known as the Keelians, and are credited as the backbone of their business. You can learn more about the Keeley Company's dedication to their employees by visiting KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. No way. You got him? You really got him? Well, my friends, it was that joyful response that I heard from my daughter, Grace, that allowed me to recognize we got someone on this podcast with and for you today that you're going to love. A couple weeks earlier, Grace introduced me to a gentleman named Ray Kelly singing a song called Hallelujah. Ray Kelly was not only any normal guy, he was a pastor, a priest in Ireland, and the Hallelujah version he was singing was not just any version of the song, it was one that he was singing specifically for a bride and groom on the day that they were married in front of him. It was a beautiful video, and the more I learned about Ray's story, the more I learned about his heart, and the more I learned about his voice, the more I wanted to share his life with you today. He has lived a remarkable life. He has sung in front of some of the largest audiences around the world. And today he's going to provide a little bit of that music, a little bit of that voice, a little bit of that joyfulness, a little bit of that life for us to benefit from and to receive today. As we near Christmas, we wanted you to open up one of your presents a little bit early. I think for those of you tuning in right now, what you may want to do is grab yourself a big, tall glass Oh, not coffee. Get yourself some eggnog, man. Get yourself some eggnog. Tis the season. Raise it high. Grab your Live Inspired journal. Open wide your mind and your heart because you are going to be moved today through the humility, through the faithfulness, and through the life of my friend and soon to be yours, Father Ray Kelly. Father Ray Kelly, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you, John. Good afternoon from Ireland or good morning to all the people in the USA as well. Well, Father, most of the, the friends we bring on, we might say doctor or astronaut or artist. Seldom do we have the, the title in front of the name Father. So when you have an opportunity of introducing yourself to new friends, how do you, how do you personally introduce yourself? What do you do? Usually just Father Ray or Ray, if they want to call me Ray, is fine too. You know, uh, um, Some people find it hard to call me just Ray. They prefer to use the Father Ray. And even though my full title is Raymond, but... Um, I use Ray because I've been using it for years. And, and Father, when they say, well, Raymond, uh, tell me what you do for a living. How do you respond to that? I tell them I'm a priest. I'm a Catholic priest. I have been for the last uh, 33, 32 years, I think. 32 years, 33 years next year. And um, 
I worked uh, early days. I was ordained for missionary priesthood, actually. Uh, so when I was ordained in 1989, I worked in South Africa for a few years. And, uh, and strangely, I mean, I was 36 before I was ordained. So I actually worked in Dublin as, as a civil servant in the Department of Defense for about 10 years before I uh, decided to start studying to become a priest. And I was all, you know, had my girlfriend, had my own home, had my car, had everything going for me. But this thing uh, is, is strange. When, when, when God speaks to us, you know, it's very hard to say no sometimes, you know. Mm. I'm curious, because I was going to begin in 1953 with, with Mona and Joy, with, with Joe and your, your mom and yeah, your siblings. Yeah. And I almost think, you know what, where you're beginning is exactly the right place to begin. It's this transformational moment in the late 80s where you have a job and you have your sense of identity and you know who you are and you're dating and you've got a house and life is kind of figured out. Yeah. And then you make this wild jump. So mm -hmm. why don't we begin not at birth and upbringing, but instead with the pivot. So talk about that. That wild jump. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, I was, I was like a good Catholic boy, I suppose, you know, once, once I got to work in Dublin I'm from the rural part of Ireland, the midlands of Ireland in County Westmeath. But once I got to work in Dublin, like, you know, it was great. I was free. I had the shackles of my parents shaken off completely. So I was enjoying life, going to nightclubs and going to discos. But I also could sing. I always could sing. I always had this singing voice. And I remember I started having my voice trained as well in Dublin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I enjoyed that. But then during, you know, Lent came up and I said, oh, I must do something for Lent. Because as a kid growing up, my dad used to bring us all to church during the season of Lent every morning at eight o'clock mass, you know, and then we'd come home and have our big breakfast and off to school. But uh, I said, okay, there was a church just across the road from where I walked. So I started going to the church for Lent during the season of Lent. And it was a lovely quiet time. I really enjoyed it. And when Lent was finished, I kind of said, do you know, I was enjoying that quiet time for a half an hour before work. I think I'll continue to do it. Mm. And I did. And then I started having thoughts in my head, like, Ray, you could be like that priest up there. And you could be doing what he's doing. And I just kind of, um, it was only a thought, just a thought. That's all it was, just a thought. And it didn't really get a serious thought. And then it began to come more and more common in my head. Ray, you could be doing what that priest is doing up there. And uh, I began to get excited about it, but yeah. then I began to get troubled about it. So it was like a tug of war going on in my head. And uh, then it had stopped for a while and I'd be at mass in the mornings and there'd be nothing happening. And it was like, gosh, what's wrong? Is, was I, definitely I was dreaming all this. It was only, only imagination, you know? And then it had come back again. So it was like this tug of war going on in my head all the time until eventually it's like, it's like anybody having problems going on in their head. You have to talk to somebody about it. Mm. And I decided I'd talk to another priest and I told him exactly what was going on in my head. And he said, maybe you have a vocation, maybe you don't, but the only way to get rid of that thing in your head is to do something about it and to try it out. So I remember going for what they used to call a live-in in a seminary in Ireland. And I went for a weekend there 
and it was I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the quiet time, the prayer life. And then my cousin from Africa, my mother's first cousin, was home from Africa. He was a Kiltegan priest, St. Patrick's Missionary Society priest. And my mom, of course, I told my mother what was going on just to kind of prepare her yes. in case she get a big shock, you know. I'm curious, how, you, how did your mother respond when you even said, hey, mom, I'm, I'm thinking of this. I'm praying over this. Well, she said, what are you going to do with your car? And what are you going to do with your house? You know, all this kind of thing. And I said, yeah, don't worry about that. Look, we can sell that. We can sell the car. We can do all that kind of thing. And my father was much more um, kind of um, down to earth about it. Well, he said, well, Ray, if, if that's what you really want, if that's going to make you happy, he said, you know, go, go with it, you know, go with it, you know. So um, then my mother, of course, couldn't hold it to herself. She had to tell people, <laughs> you know, and she told my first cousin, my mum's, her own cousin, who was a priest. And he said to me, well, why don't I try out the St. Patrick's Kiltegan Fathers, where he was a member of. It's a society in County Wicklow in Ireland. And I wrote to them there and explained my situation. And they invited me then down to live in for about uh, three or four days during Holy Week from say, Holy Thursday to Easter Sunday. And I remember going there and uh, oh, there was about 15 other guys like myself wondering where we had a vocation or not. And I think once I was there and this place now was far away from Dublin, about maybe 50, 60, 70 miles from Dublin, right up in the Wicklow Hills and surrounded by mountains, beautiful area. And I said, yeah, well, if I was going to do something, I'd want to get away from Dublin because I had too many friends there to distract me, mm. that I might just continue and being in touch with them. So I actually said, yeah, this is the place I want to be. So I signed up for there and joined there in September of 1982 and started my seven years training to become a priest. That's how, and I just gave myself every year, I says, Ray, Try one year, see how it goes. My job was waiting for me still if I wanted to go back to it, which was great. My, I had my job there secure if I ever wanted to go back to it, but I never go back, went back to it. Ray, what, you know, for many of us listening to your beautiful voice right now, and we're about to hear an even more beautiful rendition of that voice in a moment, so stick around for that, listeners. Sometimes it's hard to move neighborhoods. Sometimes it's hard to um, buy a home or sell a car. Sometimes it's hard to switch jobs. What you're talking about here is vocational and transformational in your life. You're, you're saying no to a girlfriend. You're saying no to marriage. You're saying no to children. You're saying no ultimately to doing what you want to do in your life. And yes, to surrendering your will to an, a higher call. Yeah. yeah. What, talk about the confidence to do that. Because to many of our listeners, and if I'm being real to the, the gentleman asking the question, that is, that is audacious. That is a bold yes. John, I don't think I actually delved into it to that level of depth. I never thought about not having children. It was just this thing was in my head. And I said, the only way to get it out of my head is to try something. And I genuinely felt that, I mean, I was, I was 28 years of age at the time, right? So yes. I genuinely felt the only way to get rid of this is to try this out. But as regards um, not having children or not being married or, you know, anything like that, that never really came into it. Now, I did tell, I had my girlfriend and I remember one evening I took her out for dinner and I said, I have a problem. She looked <laughs> at me. She says, you're not sick. And I said, no, no, no. 
she says, I said to her, I'm thinking of becoming a priest. And she just, she went white. Now we weren't serious. We were just going out for a couple of years, but we hadn't really committed ourselves to each other. So she just went white and she said, right, okay. And I started talking to her and talking to her. So she said, well, sure, look at, but are you breaking up with me? Well, say, no, I always want us to be friends, you know? I always want us to be friends. Sometimes when you say yes to the next step, it requires you to say no to something that was dear to you. And you, you were yeah. able to do that. You yeah. become a priest. You graduate seminary, I believe, 35. 2006, you're appointed to St. Bridget's in Old Castle. And I'm going to scoot the tape up just a little bit farther down the life of Father Ray Kelly. April 5th, 2014. I don't know where you were, listeners, but I know where Father Ray Kelly was. He was saying mass. He was marrying a young couple named Chris and the future Leah O'Kane. Take us, because Father... This is where you and I first got introduced. My, my daughter, who is 10 years old, her name is Grace O'Leary. Grace O'Leary brings me this video of uh, a beautiful girl getting married and then this Catholic priest in front of them. Music begins playing in the background. And then all of a sudden, surprisingly, this song from this beautiful priest begins to belt out overhead. That's where you and I first were introduced. So would you take us back to April 5th, 2014? Uh, maybe just a little bit before that where the song came from because I happened to be doing a wedding of uh, a young man from the parish here in Oldcastle and it was up in Enniskillen in Northern Ireland uh, about an hour and a half drive from here and at the end I did the ceremony and it was a beautiful day and everything went well and at the end of the liturgy this little girl of about 12 sung a Leonard Cohen song personalizing it for the bride and groom called Hallelujah which is Leonard Cohen's big song and uh, I listened to it and I thought, that's very clever. I said, you know, to myself. And I said to her at the end of the, the, um, the, the, the wedding and all that, I said, can I have a copy of the words? And she gave me the copy she had, of course. And I brought it home and I threw it into the drawer here, forgot about it. And maybe about a year or two later, I think, hallelujah, used to be a competition in the UK called the X Factor. And the X Factor had it was two finalists. There was Alexandra Burke, I think, and a group called JLS. And both of them had to sing this song, Hallelujah. And I thought, so they sung it. So then it, I remembered that from that competition, I remembered, gee, I, ha I have words of Hallelujah as well for a wedding. And I went to the drawer and I found the words. And then I said, now I need a backing track. So <laughs> obviously, Alexandra Burke's voice was too high for me. But JLS's track back and track was perfect. So I downloaded it and I started learning it and so much. And I used to do it long before the 5th of, of April, 2014. I had sung at many other weddings as well. But on the 5th of April, 2014, Chris and Leah decided to get married in the church here in Old Castle. They were having their, both of them, Leah was from Dublin and Chris was from Cookstown in County Tyrone, which is Northern Ireland. And they decided to come here because it was kind of halfway between the two, um, their two home places. And the, the hotel was quite near here as well, where they were going after the ceremony. So at the wedding rehearsal, two days before the wedding, we went through everything and went through the music and everything. And I just said to Chris and Leah, you know, I might sing an old song for you myself at that wedding, you know. <laughs> and they looked at me as much as, 
is he off his rocker or what's he's going on? What's going on in his head? But I thought the message had got through. So the day came, the wedding was nearly over. I get up from my chair, as you see on the video, the YouTube clip, and I press my backing track and start singing the personalized song, Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah, for Chris and Leo. I didn't realize there was two video cameras on me all the time. That's what I didn't realize. And um, everything went fine. There was people stood up at the end of it and gave me a big rousing clap and a standing ovation, which was unusual in itself as well. But I thought no more about that was all over. Monday came, Tuesday came, I had an email from Chris and Leah to thank me for the service and for particularly for the surprise. They were in Mexico on their honeymoon and particularly for the surprise they got with the song Hallelujah. And by the way, they said it's on YouTube and they sent me the link. And I didn't even know what YouTube was. <laughs> I hit this link. I genuinely did not know what, what is YouTube. And I hit the link and I watched it. And, I, and my niece's husband was here painting the house. And I said, I said Dale, quick, look, look, look at this, look, 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 look. And we watched it. And the next thing, the phone started ringing. Father Ray, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on YouTube, you're a thousand hits, you're 2000 hits, and went on and on and on like that. Went crazy. My phone went crazy. The whole parish went crazy. And I just didn't know what was I going to do about this. The next thing, the phone started ringing. Um, to be invited on radio shows all over the world, to travel. The phone invitations for weddings came from Japan, from Australia, from America, <laughs> from Canada. They thought I had nothing better to do than hop on a plane and go and sing hallelujah at their weddings. Perform for <laughs> us. Perform, for, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, Father, we're, we're going we're gonna to play the, the, the version you sang that day okay. to Chris and Leah right now, and then we'll come back and talk about a few pieces from within it.
So Father Ray, when you hear that song, one of the things is I'd never met you before. I'd never, of yeah. course, met Chris nor Leah. And afterwards, the congregation were not the only ones standing and wiping their tears. So was some American kid named John O'Leary and his beautiful daughter named Grace. When I watch this, I'm not only moved by the music and your voice, I'm moved by the sounds of the audience. You can hear audible like gasp and tears and laughter and audible joy from the congregation. That is so moving. And, and then secondly, and the, the listeners did not get this, but if they go to YouTube later on, they will. The way you connect with the bride and the groom, you give them these goofy little looks. You raise your eyes and you blink at them and you smile. And uh, there is a clear love that you felt for them and they felt for you. When you, when you watch that tape, what, what moves you? I think it, well, I start, the reason I, normally I would never flash my eyes at the bride and groom for a start, just to get that clear. No, <laughs> but what was happening, Leah was getting all teary and Jared, the tears were beginning to come. And I said, I can't have her cry at her own wedding. You know, I can't have this. <laughs> so I, I winked at her and I, and I flashed my two eyebrows at her and I said, you know, then she began to smile, you know. And uh, that's kind of why that happened. And of course, again, that was all picked up very, very, very cleverly on camera, which <laughs> I didn't realize either. But uh, that, was, that was why I was kind of, and I think that's pro probably what resonates with people as well. Now, I was really, I was really in tune with her and the way she was, she was feeling, and I just wanted to make it as special as possible for them, you know? Indeed, uh, it became very special. I, so I do have two follow-up questions from Grace Elizabeth O'Leary. She's my 10-year-old. At age six, she did Irish dance in a bar in Killarney, I believe. So uh, Grace indeed has been to the, to the home country yeah. and she loved it very and good. she loved you. So her questions for you, Father Ray, how do you decide when and when not to sing a song like that at someone's wedding? And then secondarily, will you sing at her wedding? So those are the two songs right now from 10-year-old Grace O'Leary. Uh, well, okay, Grace O'Leary, I'll answer the second question first. Uh, I would be delighted to sing at your wedding, but don't leave it too long, remember, I'm 68 years of age and I'm getting old, you know? <laughs> don't leave it too long, but I know you can't get married when you're 18 either, your dad won't let you, so, so the, the, <laughs> you have to make that decision. Uh, the first question was, um, what was the first question again, John? How, how do you decide when you're going to provide a gift like that to a couple getting married? Um, I get a lot of requests for weddings now uh, here in, in my parish um, because of that, obviously. But then there's some couples who don't want me to sing at all. But I always, I always uh, at the wedding rehearsal, I would say, and just in case they're too shy to ask me, I said, would you like me to sing a song for you? And some of them would like it, but they don't want the hallelujah because I think they, because they think maybe it's so common now yes. that they don't want it. They want something else, you know? So I might sing the other wedding song, which is on my album, Together Forever With Love, or maybe the Panis Angelicus or the Ave Maria or something like that. So, um, and then there are couples who just prefer their wedding, all instrumental music, string quartets or whatever like that. And you respect that too. So, I mean, I'm never disappointed if they don't want me to sing, you know. So you mentioned- But I always oblige, I always oblige if they do. I got you. So you mentioned sometimes I sing another song. So let's fast forward just a few more years. Your life begins to change. You get a couple of invitations around the parish and beyond to join shows, to sing a little bit more. And eventually in 2018, Britain's Got Talent comes calling and you have an opportunity to perform on, I would imagine, to that point, the biggest stage of your life. 
what, what anxiety, what feelings did you have as you were getting ready to walk out in front of a, an international audience, including Simon? I think, um, I suppose just before that, the year before that, I had sung a similar competition in Germany because I was invited to do it. And I remember singing a song called Love Shine a Light. And the judges weren't, yeah, they said it was okay. And then the audience recognized me. In, it was in, in some part of Germany and they recognized me and the judges were confused what was going on. And I explained to them that they recognized me from singing Hallelujah at the wedding. And they said, will you sing Hallelujah? And I said, well, I don't, I didn't have the clip. I didn't have the backing track. And the head judge said to me, well, he says, will you do it a cappella without any music? But before that, one of the other judges stood up and said, started dancing around the place. And he said, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm sick of people singing hallelujah. Mm. And I, I just looked at him as, as I'm thinking to myself, I haven't even sung it. What are you on like, you know? But anyway, I started singing it. The head judge then stopped me halfway through and he put up his hand and he said, thanks very much, Father Ray. He says, I just don't want to offend my friend here any longer. So thank you very much. And I walked off the stage and that was it. So I said, after that experience, I would never, ever do a reality TV show again. And then the following in January, Britain's Got Talent came, because they're always scouting for talent anyway. So they rang me up and asked me, would I be interested in doing it? And I said, no way. After my experience in Germany, I said, never, ever again. And I said, do you think I'd have the courage to get up and sing in front of Simon Cowell? I said, come on, give me a break here, you know? So they left it at that. And they said, well, can we ring you maybe in a month or two again? Maybe you'll change your mind. I said, sure, you can ring me whenever you want. And they rang me a second time. And I said, no, I said, I'm not doing it. I said, no way. And they promised me, they promised me it would be the best experience. There would really be a good experience. So I said, okay. I said, um, let, me, let me think. Let me think. I said, I'll tell you what. In my head, in my own head, it's okay, I'll do it. And I, in my head, I was happy then just to, I told nobody, I think I told my family, maybe I was going over to do it, but they didn't take much notice of it really. Yes. And myself and a friend of mine here in the parish, I said, let's go over to London, do this. We'll be on the plane back the following day, end of story, everything forgotten about, bye-bye, Britain's Got Tower. And that was it. So with that in my head, I said, the only way to get rid of this now, it's like, the vocation thing. Yes. The only way when you have something in your head to get rid of it is to go and do it and get it out of the way. So that's what I did. Went over. They asked me, would I do the song Everybody Hurts? They had heard that on my album as well. And they were very, very, very professional. There's two guys who compare it called Ants and Deck. Before that, there was two or three guys on and they got the, these buzzers where none of the judges wants to see them anymore on to kind of lift the whole audience out of it, you know, and I said, oh God, what is me now? It's going to happen me now as well. So anyway, the next thing, Ant comes over to me and hands me a microphone, Father Ray, it's your turn. And out I go. And Simon, I introduced myself, Father Ray Kelly. I'm a parish 64, 65 years of age at the time, I think, and parish priest in Ireland. And uh, he starts chatting me up. And the first question he asked me is, is, do you ever do exorcisms? Yes. And I kind of know there's all this banter going on between him Simon and David and I says why have you somebody in mind looking at David and I said to, I said to Simon do you want me to zap him now or will I do it later you know and uh, of course the audience are up so over that and kind of stuff like that then relaxes me as well and I think it relaxes the audience 
for sure. who I am as well, you know. So then I told, they asked me what song was I going to sing and why. And I said, why did I want to do Britain's Got Talent? And I said, uh, well, I'd love to be an opportunity to sing in front of the royal family or whatever, you know, which I have great respect for. And uh, then he, I said, I'm going to sing the song, R.E.M. song, Everybody Hurts. And Amanda says, oh, yeah, I love that song. And, and Simon says, OK, off you go. And I sung the whole song. And I knew, I knew when I was singing it, looking down at the judges, that I had them, that the audience, and I knew I had the audience as well. You get to know that feeling when you draw somebody in, yes. you know. And, and I just knew, I said, this is going OK. When I'd finished the song, there was a pause for about maybe only five seconds. But it seemed longer, you know, and I said, oh, God, this is Germany now. This is where I walk off the stage and forget this ever happened. And then Simon stands up and gives me a standing ovation and Amanda and Alicia and David Williams as well. And then the whole audience stand up and give me a standing ovation. And then I began to get nervous. Everybody hurts sometimes. So hang on. So hold on. The song itself is sung beautifully. The words are so meaningful. Clearly the audience has moved and so are the viewers at home. I have never though, in watching that show, both in Britain and here in the United States, seen a pause between the last word and the last note and then a response yeah. from an audience, whether it's booing or hissing or applauding. Yeah. 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 Five yeah. seconds in live TV, live on stage, live audience is forever. And when that Huge. silence Huge. is yeah. broken by Simon, standing up in his yeah. white t-shirt and saying, "Woo!" hands cussed yeah. over his mouth, and then the entire audience rises. What, when he breaks the silence, how do you feel? Um, well, I, I began to get teary, a little teary then and, and shaken because I just didn't know how to react to it because I never really experienced that before. And as you say, that five, it was like, you know, somebody described it afterwards, it's like you have somebody in a hypnotic kind of state from a song. Mm. And, and that five seconds is their chance to come back out of it slowly again. And it takes them that five seconds or something like that to do that. And, yeah. and then they, they come and start and, and it was just, uh, it was just amazing. You know? Part of the reason you chose that song is a year or maybe two earlier, your sister Reg passed away due to cancer. Yeah. And yeah. part of the emotion that is so clearly felt on the judges' faces and the audience was reflected in yours because right before you went on stage, my, my understanding is you looked down at a picture of her and, and offered a prayer. Yeah. That, hey, give me the inspiration. Keep, I have, even today, I have a picture of her here in my shirt pocket. You know, I carry it with me everywhere, you know, in my phone as well. And uh, she's five years gone last February. And um, she was younger than me, but uh, I, still, I still miss her every day. And now I have, she's four children. She's nine grandchildren. But, you know, it never leaves you, you know, it never leaves you. But um, I suppose the interesting thing then going back that, that audition was performed on the 31st of January in 2018. It actually wasn't shown on TV until the 23rd of April. 
So January, February, almost three months later, I had to keep my mouth shut for three months as to what happened. I couldn't tell anybody. My family knew and it had to stay there. But I think even telling anybody, nobody would really understand it until they saw it. Yes. And I remember the day it was shown on television here on a Saturday evening. I had a wedding that day and I came back in from the wedding about eight o'clock, switched on the television. I didn't know exactly when, what week it was going to be shown. And I was just in, had the television on when I saw myself walking out on stage to sing Hallelujah. And the first thing my thought was, I was disgusted because I sung a five minute song for them. They only played 90 seconds of it. They cut and pasted it. Wow. And it's why it tore my song apart, you know? And I suppose the audience reacted to a five minute song. That's the reaction you saw on television. But like it was only 90 seconds of what you actually got on the YouTube clip, mm. you know, because it's, it's, it, it's a very powerful song. It's a very powerful, very, very powerful song. But that, that 90 seconds is probably enough for people to realize what the song means to them, I think, as well, you know. Father, we're having this conversation in mid-December, a couple years into COVID, a week or so away from Christmas. And in, in your own words and through your own understanding, after becoming a priest, after losing a sister, after losing loved ones and gaining and growing in friendship, what does Christmas mean? Like for those of us who are Christian and for my listeners who are not, what, what do we celebrate during the Christmas season? I suppose, you know, Christmas is very, very commercialized. And I love, you know, I, at the moment, I'm planning for my liturgies and I have to put on extra liturgies, masses. Um, and you're putting them on for the people who will only come to church once a year. You know, the, the, like Santa Claus coming to them is like they have to go to mass. Santa Claus comes as well. Mm. And uh, so you do cater for those. But, but I mean, I suppose the fact that they do make the effort to come uh, to church for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day means something to them as well. And I think it's, 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 you know, but always in my liturgies, I would always, while Santa Claus always phones me on Christmas Eve, every Saturday at Mass on six o'clock on Christmas Eve, just before I finish Mass, my mobile phone rings and it's Santa Claus. <laughs> and it's usually over Poland or Latvia or Lithuania or somewhere like that on his way down to Ireland. And the kids, their eyes just pop out of their head, you know, when Santa Claus speaks to me. And uh, I mean, that's, that's one side of Christmas. The other side of it, of course, is the celebration of the birth of Jesus and, and uh, you know, salvation for each one of us, you know, assured because he came into the world because God sent his son down as a total human being, just mm -hmm. like you and me into the world to live and to show us the way, you know. Many of us, this season is filled actually not with Santa Claus and faith and joy, but with anxiety and depression. And for so many isolation, we come through the season actually worse off afterwards than we entered into it. So my question to a, a friend who has been leading parishes and friends and family through this season for decades now, what should we say no to during the season to make sure we actually understand the power of Christmas? What do we need to say no to? And what do we need to replace that no with by saying yes to? I think we need to say no to over consumerism and over commercialism. And I think we need to say yes to, you know, Ireland, like many, many other countries, there's a lot of poverty in it. There's a lot of people sleeping on the streets and there's a lot of people reaching out. And I think we have to, we have to respond to something like that. We have to, 
as well, because, you know, that's what we're called to do. That's what the gospel is all about, you know. So if it means saying no to that extra piece of, piece of plum pudding or that extra piece of Christmas cake, simple little things. We don't have to make huge sacrifices because we're all pretty well off. We're all OK, you know, but just little things, I think, just little things and maybe teach our children something similar as well. And that, Father, the, the final question before we move through together the Live Inspired Seven. There are seven questions that always tether our, our beautiful guests together. Is, is there a song this season that is just kind of playing in your own mind, whether it's a, a Christmas song, a holiday song, a Pop 40 song? Is, is there a song that right now that it's, it's in your mind, it's in your heart, you want us to hear it? The song that I love to sing uh, and play is the song called I'll Be Home for Christmas. Um, it's a song that makes me very emotional uh, because of my sister. But this year, only four weeks ago, I lost my favorite dog and he died. Uh, I was away for a few days and he died when I was away. And that's, I had two beautiful dogs called Biddy and Buddy. And Biddy died two years ago with cancer. And Buddy left me three weeks ago as well. And every time I remember, I remember recording that song in London mm. and to get the emotion into that song, I remember thinking of Biddy and Buddy. It was before my sister died, I recorded. And I remember thinking of Biddy and Buddy, my two dogs. Now, unless you're a dog lover and an animal lover, some people may not understand that, but people who do have animals and dogs do understand it. And uh, so every time I sing, I'll be home for Christmas, I think of them. And I think of people who maybe won't be home for Christmas as well. Yeah because of COVID as well, there's a few people on to me on Facebook all the time. They haven't traveled to America to see their children in two or three years because of COVID. And there's huge losses there. COVID has done a lot of damage, which we really will never know for a few years yet in our lives and in our society. I'll be home for Christmas It's a, it's a beautiful sentiment and um, how cool to think at some point in all of our lives, we will indeed be home for Christmas. So Father Gray Kelly, seven questions that tether all of our guests together, whether they live outside of Dublin or they live here in St. Louis, Missouri, or somewhere else around the world. Number one, question number one, what is the best or most impactful book that you have ever read? Oh gosh, I think one of the ones that I've read is, what's it called? Uh, Nelson Mandela's book. And walk, walk to Freedom, I think it's called. Mm. It's a beautiful book about his 27, 28 years locked up on, on, on the island and, you know, living, I remember being on the island, visiting the little cell he was confined to. Uh, and it really inspired me, that book. Nelson Mandela has always inspired me anyway. What is one positive characteristic that you possessed as a little boy growing up in Ireland that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Growing up, I know I wasn't as confident as I am now. And I had, you know, I suppose so. 
I suppose I wish I wish I was more confident as a child and felt more confident. And that would be my message to anybody else growing up today, young children especially. And I think they are. I think children are today. I have grandnieces and grandnephews, and they, they buy and sell you literally at six and seven years of age. They're so clever, you know. And I, I envy them, and I, I think it's wonderful. And I wish for myself that I was like that then. But then, you know, that's just the way life is. You can't go back, turn back the clock. If your home, rectory, church caught fire, and all living things are out, dogs, animals, congregation, friends, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item that matters to you, physical item, what is one physical thing that you would come racing back outside with? I think I would take down the um, the platinum disc on my wall, where which represented me represented so many sales of my very first album. <laughs> Talk about it's that, just, man! You got a you got a platinum album hanging up in the rectory. Yeah, yeah, the platinum disc hanging up there, just up there in the hallway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and like I never, and my wildest dreams at sixty odd years of age when it happened would that I ever thought that would happen to me mm. so uh, it's it, it kind of in a sense it tells people who I am now as well you know so I, I read a book years ago that was for me very moving called 12 ordinary men by a guy named John MacArthur and and the premise is if you were to begin a, an important organization really important who would you surround yourself with and of course if you're trying to build a large business well great business minds great professors great thinkers and so then MacArthur switches to, okay, so who does Jesus surround himself with as he builds this mighty, uh, generationally, eternally important organization? And it's 12 wildly broken, ordinary guys. And yet in their yes, he reminds them how powerful he is. And I think that platinum disc that hangs on your wall reminds you and those who come into your home, really ultimately not how great you are, but how big our God is. If you could sit on a bench, uh, how about near Galway? looking out toward the ocean on an actually pretty day. It's one of those rare, yeah. beautiful Galway days and have a yes. long conversation with anyone, living or deceased. Who would you want to be on that bench with? I'd want to have my sister back with me again. What's one thing that you wish you had told your sister while you had her on that bench with you? I don't think I needed to t tell her anything because she knew I loved her and she always, she always told me she loved me. I think we knew that, that that was there. There was nothing really we'd have to share. We just, just even sitting in the silence, looking out in Galway Bay. How about that? That's all. What's the best advice your sister or your father, Joe, or whoever else it may have been that ever gave you? So the best advice Father Ray ever received was? The best advice I received really, I think more from my mom and dad, you know, about working hard. My mother worked very, very hard as a midwife. She was a midwife and, you know, out sometimes three or four o'clock in the morning delivering babies. That time, less children were born in hospitals, more children were born at home. Yes. So I was always inspired by her. And, uh, I, you know, as a kid growing up, you don't realize that. But as you get older and when they're gone, you do realize that, that they worked, both my parents worked very, very hard for, for me and for my brother and uh, my two sisters as well. So I've always been inspired by them. and and, and and I'm inspired as well by people who, who are great parents, because I think parenting today is one of them. I don't think I could be a parent. I'm not sure I'd be a good parent now after being a priest for so long. I'm not sure I'd have the patience with kids anymore anyway. But I think parenthood today, 
Yeah, you can answer that better than I can, John. But well, parenthood today is so difficult. It's so, so difficult. Our pastor in our church here in St. Louis, Missouri, frequently says from with, with the microphone in hand, uh, as a child is crying somewhere in the church, you know, celibacy has its benefits. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> celibacy, Absolutely. Has, there are some Absolutely. benefits. So children are beautiful <laughs> gifts, no doubt, but they, of course, are, uh, they come with some challenges as well. They sure Father, do. They sure do. Father Raymond Kelly, my friend with a brilliant voice and an even better heart, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? I think my heart is in my song, really, something like that. My heart is in my songs. I like, uh, and people know that, I think, from, from what I sing and when I sing. It's just, mm -hmm. they, they meet the person, they meet the real me. And I think that's, that's what's important to me. You know? well, that heart. But seeing that, I'm just, I'm just an ordinary guy like you. I'm an ordinary guy like everybody else, but I'm a guy with doing the best I can for as long as I can. And we'll continue to do that. And the, the, that ordinary man, with that heart coming through his voice caused Simon of all individuals in the world to rise from his feet. And rise, Simon, rise. <laughs> and I, and they yeah. talked about the congregation and the hope that you provided. And I just want to thank you on behalf of our listeners today for providing that same hope, not only in your song, but in your soul, in your music, in your words, through your life for an audience that is starved for it. So Father Ray Kelly, thank you for making time for us today. My pleasure, John. Happy Christmas to you and your family and to everybody listening as well. God bless. Take care. My friends, that is Father Raymond Kelly tuning in from Ireland. My name is John O'Leary here in the United States, and today is your day. Merry Christmas indeed, and live inspired. hometown of St. Louis is an awesome baseball town. For those of you who know my story, you know that story. You know the impact of the St. Louis Cardinals and Jack Buck and baseball on my life. You also know it's a phenomenal hockey town. And for those who have read the book on fire or know the impact of the St. Louis Blues, not only in this community, but also on a little boy named John O'Leary, you know that it's a hockey town as well. What you may not know is the town keeps expanding. We are now, drumroll please, a soccer town as well. That's right. We've been a soccer town for a while, but now it's official with MLS moving to St. Louis. And our friends at Keeley Companies are proud construction partners in building the new stadium, downtown St. Louis, focusing on applying their extensive building experience, their commitment to developing, and then implementing a successful workforce development with diversity and inclusion. Keeley Companies CEO and my friend Rusty Keeley said this, We are honored to be part of the project of creating a positive legacy in St. Louis. Learn more about that project and other projects going on at Keeley Companies by visiting them right now online at keeleycompanies.com.